The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Can you guys hear me? Welcome, everyone, right. to the live Sour Hour at the Rare Barrel. Thanks for being here, guys. That sounded loud, right? Yeah. Roarous applause here if you couldn't hear it. Someone's crowd surfing. This thousands, is amazing. Thousands of beautiful faces in the crowd. Thousands. I think thousands, right? Yeah. I mean, it seems a little light, but we appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you guys for coming out. We have a wonderful show. Maybe the most. I don't know. We just did our Fort Collins show. That was a lot of guests, but maybe this is the most. Yeah, for, for a single there. evening. It and is. we're doing it live from the Rare Barrel, which is special, which is why, uh, you know, Scott's going to, this is Scott, by the way. Hey, Scott. Hey, I'm everybody. Jay from the Rare Barrel. Uh, we have Justin over here, too, who doesn't have a mic, but he's here. He's, he's doing something. I don't know what, but. That's doing, Justin from the Brewing Network. He's doing it over there. Of the session fame. Yeah, so we're, this might sound a little different. Scott's going to clean all this up and post. As usual, as yeah. usual. That's not different. As usual, yeah. As all the Rare Barrel staff know, Scott always cleans us up after the fact. <laughs> They're <laughs> like, man, I'm so articulate. Yeah, that was our last show. We did the, the Rare Barrel show at the Hop Grenade. Some new faces, some familiar faces. Yeah, it was great. But uh, we're going to keep this pretty brief off the top because got a room full of people here who don't care about our regular chit-chat, Scott. <laughs> and we've got a lot of beer to taste and great brewers to hear from. So Absolutely. I can't let's... wait to get to it. We should mention, though, this mm-hmm. is somehow the first time we've ever done this. We've never yeah. done a live broadcast from the Rare Barrel. We have not. Feels good, man. It's a good idea. I'm glad we're doing it. And, uh, yeah, let's get to it. It is that time. It's the Sour Hour. Not live from the Brewing Network studios in downtown Concord, but we're here at the Rare Barrel. Tonight's theme for the show is California Sour Beer, and we're lucky enough to have some of the best in the state. They happen to all be from Northern California. Read into that what you will. (laughs) Uh, We've got Almanac, Cellar Maker, Russian River, and Sante Adarius all in the building tonight. What a pool to choose from. NorCal. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, We're not doing any phone stuff or chat, so Scott, maybe we can just get to a quick review of the week. Ah, yes. (laughs) This review is from 831 Brewer. So perhaps Sante, one of your crew, I think it was actually just Tim. Tim Tim from Sante Adarius writes, I have never been more inspired by a podcast in my life. I get goosebumps every time (laughs) I listen. It sounds like Tim. That's (laughs) textbook Tim. Thank you for doing the sour God's work, Lachaim. Thank you for the review, 831 Brewer. We appreciate it a lot. Awesome. And so happy that you guys are continuing to subscribe and leave feedback on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcast stuff. Scott, I think, uh, yeah, I mentioned our last show is the TRB show. That was great. Go check it out. In the meantime, between that show and this show, it's been a few weeks, and you were in Australia. I went to For poker, I'm sorry, for for the National Homebrewers Conference down there. The Australian National Homebrewers Conference. It was a great time. They know what they're doing down there when it comes to drinking, I mean, brewing. (laughs) Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, Thank you to the uh, Australian homebrewers who invited me to come down. Uh, open invitation to all countries that are not the United States and even the United States to invite me places because I will show up for sure. <laughs> Jay will be there. <laughs> yeah, that's you went to. So you've been Germany, went to Brazil, right? Brazil, Brazil last year. That was uh, awesome. Holland. Where else did you go in Europe? We went to. Co- we were invited to Copenhagen. Copenhagen. To go to the McKellar Beer Festival. That was great. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it, it was awesome. Australia is a beautiful place. Went to Sydney and Melbourne. How many people have been to Australia before in here? Not a single, oh, Whoa. one hand goes up. I'm surprised. Wow. Yeah. It, it's a great place to, oh, yeah, Justin went there. Oh, Justin, uh, two hands. It's a great place to visit, English-speaking, sort of, although, you know, sometimes no, I actually I... did have a hard time with the accent. <laughs> um, but, yeah, wonderful, wonderful cities. Melbourne especially has a great, very vibrant food and drink scene. Sydney's beautiful. So I recommend 
Anyone who wants to go down there went to a great sour brewery, Wildflower in Sydney. Shout out to, to Topher. He's making great beer down there. I'm lucky enough to have him show me around. Is it actually called, is it like Scollywoggins, like what, what, like Wildflower colloquially, or is it actually called Wildflower? Actually Wildflower. Oh, okay. Which is a little confusing. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I go into that off air. But Did you uh, give a uh, talk or what were the, the highlights from the conference itself? I gave a talk on preventing off flavors and sour beers for one, and then another one on uh, bottle conditioning sour beers, which is something we're really focused on here at the Rare Barrel. And we've been trying to innovate new techniques because it turns out when sour beer, we put it in bottles after, you know, a year or so in barrels, it's bad when we don't, when we're not able to sell that beer. It's, it's bad for business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we decided to really <laughs> invest our time and brain power into making sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, to understate the case considerably. And it's, it's bad. It's difficult. You know, sour beer, having a re-fermentation in the bottle, you know, can, can be very taxing on the yeast. So... We've really invested a lot of, like I said, time and uh, brain power into how to make sure that happens more consistently. So hopefully we're, we're getting there now, and that's something we, we shared with the home brewers. Because it's, it's really tough when you spend a whole year making a beer, and then it, it doesn't turn out, which yeah. has happened oh. a couple times for us. Were you meeting, uh, like, pro brewers that were there hanging out a lot, too? Or like, what, was the, what was the home brewer to pro brewer ratio-ish? There was a very high attendance of the, the pro brewers, so it was great meeting them. Got to try some of their beers out and about uh, around town. And, yeah, the, the quality of beers was, was very good. Also, the game brought to the uh, club night. So I, I've never been to, uh, or it's not NHC anymore, right? It's Homebrew Con, the club night, but you guys have. Is there, like, dress-up and themes and costumes and stuff? Yeah. Okay, so I hadn't experienced that. Uh, and I don't know what the theme was for this one homebrew club, but they had spent, and they do it every two years in Australia, but this one homebrew club built a robot, like an actual robot, R2-D2 style, that would go around and had a sensor on it, and it would, like, sense where a person is and would go towards the person and then stop, like, the appropriate distance away. And then it has, like, this little faucet, and you put your cup under the faucet, wow. and it would just start pouring, and it would pour the exact right amount of beer, and then Whoa. it would go, and it would go. Wow. I have a video. It's crazy. It's incredible technology being wasted on a bunch of idiots yes. drinking beer. Yes, definitely. Amazing. Yeah, it was great. The Australians really have their priorities perfect. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Meanwhile, their space program has never launched a rocket. Well, when you don't have to fund national defense, you know. <laughs> That's cool. I'm glad you had a good time, man. It was great. Speaking of great, we have a lot of great beer. I don't need, need to jibber-jabber anymore. Can't wait. Maybe we should take a quick break and then bring our first guests on right after this. This is the Sour Hour, live from the Rare Barrel. Hi, this is Ryan Whedon, the host of a new podcast called Branding Brews. Branding Brews is a show focused on marketing, branding, and design for the beer industry. I have spent over 14 years as a professional designer. As a host, I bring my knowledge to the show to interview other great beer professionals. Whether you're thinking about starting a brewery, already own a brewery, want to learn more about marketing beer, or you're a seasoned veteran, this show is for you. This show will cover topics such as rebranding a brewery, package and label design, crowdfunding, design, social media, plus much more related to promoting and creating a great beer brand. Make sure to check out the show along with useful show notes at brandingbrews.com. You can also subscribe to the Branding Brews podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Again, check us out at brandingbrews.com. Live at the Rare Barrel in the Sour Hour. Going we out have the Russian thing. River and Sante Adarius joining us on the stage. Thank on the stage. Tim and Adair from Sante. Vinny from Russian River. Thank Hello. you guys so much for being here. You know, Hello. last Hello. last time I was on, so Tim, you better bring it. Because <laughs> last time I was on, I was with Jean Van Roy. <laughs> yes. That's right. And Jason and, 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 and Rob. Yeah. yeah. That's when That's we came to the Yeah. Yeah, don't forget Jason too. <laughs> 
but we, so we're going to jump right in in media res, Scott. Uh, we have a beer in front of us. In fact, we all do. This is uh, from Sante. It is called A Thousand Summers, and it's a Saison aged in cherry wine punchins with Masumoto nectarines. Right, the, Frederick Skull cherry wine barrels. Yeah, so that's where I want to start. What is that? Adair, I think you should answer this. <laughs> well, for those of you who have not had the Frederick Skull cherry wine, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, my Danish is not particularly good, but it's a phenomenal cherry wine that is made in Denmark. And the first time that I had it, um, was at the Copenhagen Beer Celebration probably about four years ago. They tend to pour at a lot of the European beer festivals, and I was just blown away by this cherry wine. It's sweet like a dessert wine. But not. But not. It's, it's just the cherry flavor is so pungent, and it's, they're so delicious. And the people who run the company are so nice. And so... I tried to find out how we could get these barrels. Um, I'd heard a little rumor that they might sell them. And so we worked really, really hard to get some barrels from them. And they shipped over, I don't know how many barrels. I think there were maybe 10 breweries who got some of these cherry wine barrels from Denmark. But we were really excited to get some of the, the few punchins that actually made their way to the U.S., what were they like when they when they showed up? Because I think, you know, you get, you see sometimes, you know, Tim, you're probably on these same email threads from barrel brokers, oh, freshly emptied this or that, and it's very exotic. And then you get it, and it's like, okay, I think it used to be exotic. I, I wouldn't describe them as freshly emptied. You know, they're coming from Denmark to the West sure. Coast of the United States. But uh, I do think that in using them... There is something about the quality of the product from the wood that actually shows itself in the final in the final product, mm-hmm. and I can't always say that even about freshly emptied barrels. To be honest, there's sure. just something about it. Of the word I would describe about these about this particular wine, this cherry wine is decadent. It's mm. it's it's a you want to impress your date, you would. <laughs> Drink this last at the end of the night. Cherry so wine is the my cher- go-to. The cherry wine, it's, it's my, something. It's it is something. <laughs> yeah, put it on your list. How commonly available is cherry wine? I've never had it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was lying, Scott. Yeah, you've never you... been on a date. I've nice, never had nice cherry to, wine. Yeah, oh, nice, yeah, to, yeah, meet nice to meet you. <laughs> you know, Shelton uh, distributes it, so it's it's. I think they're actively trying to work their way more into the American market, but it's it's really awesome. And if you go to their Instagram page. You'll see some if you're if you're a brewing aficionado, you can see the way that these that this stuff's made. They're putting big glass, almost like carboys, out in the sun that they've that they've. It's, it's just crazy. Take a look at the Instagram page, Frederick Skull. I can't spell it. I can't hardly <laughs> say it, but I know that it's fantastic. And Harold did come and visit us recently. Yeah. Oh, so nice. we've further hopefully developed this relationship uh, to be able to do a little bit more collaboration using the actual juice and or wine and more barrels. Yeah. So. Does he like your sour beer as much as you like his cherry wine? So very interestingly, <laughs> he's a winemaker. Um, anything with bubbles, he was less impressed with. Anything mm. coming out of a fooder or a barrel... He was really excited about. <laughs> he wanted so, it still. You know, he wanted it still, yeah. and he he saw a lot of depth in still beer. And any, I, I think he actually the way that this is pouring, he probably would would like this a little bit better. It's off. This is our. We only have two kegs of this. So it is a little soft. Did you hear that, everyone? This is one of two kegs in the entire world. Amazing. Everyone, for bump up it. your untap rating immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cheers to that. Did he did he like Brett though? He's a winemaker. Uh, yeah. He he uh, he. He was neutral on whether he liked Brett. Uh, he did let us know that he had some Brett barrels, and he was very eager to get rid of those. So as, as a winder. They always are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So we're, we are also ignoring another component of this beer, yep. which is the nectarines. Yeah, so the Ma- Masamoto, Masamoto fruit. Um, we... This is the first time that we've used whole fruit. We've, uh, it's pretty commonly known that we really like the Oregon fruit product. That, that puree has been very good to our brewery. But this is an opportunity for us to actually get in a big portion of uh, stone fruit and process it and make a beer from it. So it's exciting stuff. How was the processing process? It was fun. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't so fun. It was, it was three of us on a Sunday. I think that the fruit came in on a Saturday, and we needed it ready by Monday. And so three of us 
went in on Sunday and chopped up a bunch of nectarines. As anybody who's processed fruit knows, your hands are discolored and numb by the end of the day. I'd have to ask my staff. Is that true, guys? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes. They, they were saying thumbs yes. <laughs> they were saying yes that they yeah, don't Their, like their yeah. fruit-stained <laughs> thumbs are up. <laughs> well, actually, this beer is great. I don't know how you guys... It's amazing. I love this. What's also cool about it, too, um, A, A, it's a club beer, so if if exclusivity, the two keg thing, it's also, you know, it's only been distributed to our club thus far, so there's that. But um, this is not our normal house culture. This is, uh, we're using um, some East East Coast yeast, Mm. Albuck-derived strains for this, which is really neat. So I know that it's... You're going to ask me which strains they are, and I'm going to have to defer <laughs> for a second. But we, this was an opportunity to actually work with a little bit more of Al's, of Al's stuff. So, yeah, yeah, that's great stuff. Yeah. And how often do you go outside of your house train to kind of experiment? Very seldomly. Yeah. And what, what was the decision-making process in trying that out on this? I think it was the fact that we were doing a new fruit and really wanted to try to step out of the comfort zone. I mean, we do have a very consistent house culture that does the work that we ask of it. And so I think it's trying to step outside of that and try to really make something special. Awesome. We, the barrels really dictated this beer. Started with the barrels, then the fruit, then everything else. So we really wanted something special. And in addition to that, really wanting to do something special, I mean, we try to do something, as you guys do too, we really try to make our club beers very special for our club members every year. And it gives us an opportunity to to test beers that we think would be potentially exciting to make year-round or to make in the future as well. Um, so this beer has turned out well. It, it could be a beer that we make in the future, depending on barrel availability. Yeah, and, and I guess fruit availability. And too. fruit availability as well, yeah. And, and, yet we can, and yet we can never make it quite the same, which is, I think, very cool. Yeah, what is your stance on kind of consistency versus variability at Sante? I think consistency is something that hopefully, as a producer, you prove to the consumer that you make consistently great beer, not that you make the same beer over and over consistently. Yes. Yeah. Amen. You won. <laughs> oh yeah, I think this is a wonderful beer. How are you guys liking it out there? Loving it? Yeah. Thank you. It's a, it's a, it's a combo that oh, I never would have imagined, which, but that's a lot of fun part about having great brewers on the show. I think Scott, you and I are pretty spoiled that we get to try kind of the cream of the crop and sour beer, but also like cutting edge. You know, I appreciate that people bring or send us beers if they can't make it in person that are just things they're really excited about. And the fact that then we get to share it with people who listen to the podcast, I think really builds a lot of inspiration and innovation. And now the fact that we get to do it in person, you know, this is, you all see now how spoiled Scott and I are because we're all drinking the beers here together now, which is awesome. So maybe just a quick note for the room. Uh, We're doing the the kind of structure we're doing, and I think it's on your menus, but we're going to taste some beers and talk about them, and then we're going to take a quick uh, segment break. We'll come back with all these great brewers again and just kind of do a general Q&A, or q and I I don't know what I stands for, but... (laughs) That's when you ask the question. Yeah, let's roll with it. Question and inquiries. (laughs) I like it. Q&I will be asking the questions. No answers, but... So if anyone in the room has questions, you know, we'll definitely hit those up in the next segment. Uh, And we definitely encourage this to be an interactive uh, experience, not just us drinking the beers together, but having a conversation in the room. That would be great. But as I'm saying that, you know, we are getting our second beer out, and I just got mine. And this is what I have heard on the streets. The streets are talking, Scott, that this is the best version of this beer that what? has ever existed. Oh, I heard the same thing. By the man who blended it. And yes. we happen to have him here, Finney. How, you, how convenient. I, I also heard that you never, you know, you're not prone to hyperbole or, you know, saying that this is the best or that's the best. He's not an exaggerator. But in the room today, we have the best beatification ever? I think, I think so. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Also, thank you for finally, uh, I know you've been taking a lot of days off lately, to getting off your couch and coming down here and hanging out with us, man. We appreciate it. Vinny interrupted his three-week vacation to be here today. Yes, thank you, Vinny. I made the comment that Natalie and I are taking our first day off this Saturday in about eight or nine months. He means it literally. Yeah, Yeah. literally. 
Yeah, for those who don't know, there's a new beautiful Russian River up in Windsor. If you're not following the Russian River Instagram, I recommend that you do highly so you can see all the tanks that you don't have and you need to go visit. <laughs> you know what's great, too, about Russian River? I, the, I, the Twitter pops to mind, which is like, you know, tens of thousands of followers. I got to be following one or two. You know, it's like followers and following. Yeah. You, and it's like 10 gross men. It's like you're literally following like <laughs> one person and then the rest of the world is following you. It's awesome. No comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the beer. So why, why do you, I mean, you've, You've blended a lot of beatifications. You've seen them age over time. To have the newest version strike you that profoundly, what, why, why, why was that? So this is a 100% spontaneous fermented. So we make a, a base beer that we call Synambic, and Synambic is our playful way of calling it a spontaneous beer without using the term lambic, which is a protected uh, term. Um, I've even heard a couple of the more famous uh, Belgian spontaneous brewers um, refer to synambic as a, as, as a way to reference a spontaneous beer without calling it a lambic, mm. um, which, cool. which to me was, was nice because yeah. we've, we've always respected and honored the Belgians and, and their classic style of lambic beer so so we make synambic we do make it in a classic recipe style and at a 70 percent malted barley 30 percent unmalted wheat we don't do a turbid mash though so there's i guess so it's i guess it's maybe not classic in that standpoint but from the recipe standpoint we are using aged hops but we use aged hops in all of our barrel aged sour beers temptation supplication consecration and all the rest of them all get aged hops we have like 10,000 pounds of aged hops because we do make a fair amount of the, uh, those three beers. So we, we have a whole aged hop program that we roll the hops I'll through. I'll come by sometime just with a broom to get our year, <laughs> our year supply. Yeah. Are those uh, pellets or whole, or whole leaf? Uh, both, pellets and, and whole cone. So we have a new cool ship at the new brewery also that we're very excited to use. <laughs> Sweet. So. And that's... That's not cool shift spelled like the janky way that Allegash does it. K E W L K O E L S C H I P. So cool ship. <laughs> so I picked that up and I think it was uh, might have been Jean de Clerc's book. And ever okay. since that, because we actually referenced Jean de Clerc's book. If you don't know Jean Jean de Clerc's, like the most famous brewing scientist ever. Um, his two books of uh, brewing, which were written back, I don't even know, early 1900s. I mean, I'm not even sure of when, are still like classic books. And so we, ref- we were able to reference his, his, uh, his brewing books. Uh, Yvonne DeBates from De La Sen gave me um, them after. Wow. I gave him a Dio meter, and he gave me <laughs> these like two classic books. It was amazing trade. It's a nice so, old world, new but, world trade. Um, <clears throat> but 19, no, 1957, first published in English. Yeah, and little, little known fact, Jean de Clerc is buried at Chimay in, uh, at the monastery in wow, Belgium. Really? So, yeah, he's the only lay person that's buried there. And when Natalie and I took a tour of Chimay, the monk that was showing us around said, we don't know who's more proud. Is he more proud that he was buried at Chimay? Because he, he developed um, Chimay White, I believe, wow. was his recipe. Wow. And then, and then or, or is it that the monks are more proud that, that he's buried at their, in their cemetery, hmm. which backs up right to the brewery at, at Chimay, so it's really cool. So, no pressure living brewers. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so anyway, so Sinambic is, is our kind of not to spontaneous beer. A place that we deviate in a much more drastic manner is the fact that when you make a goose, which is blended uh, lambic, you traditionally would use three-year, two-year, one-year, whereas we look at it, we look at every barrel and every batch that we have in our barrel room that's synambic, our spontaneous beer, and we make a blend. So this one has nine or ten batches of synambic disproportionately blended in. So I think, and I think why, why it's better than previous batches, in my opinion, is just that we've learned how to tame the wild yeast in the barrel room. Mm-hmm. Um, the process that we use now is much different than what we'll be using at the new uh, brewery up in Windsor. So we have this long, narrow tank in our barrel room at the brew pub on 4th Street that you can't see, unfortunately, um, from the bar, but it's 20 foot long and, I don't know, 
maybe three foot, two foot uh, wide, and but it's deep. Where a cool ship, you'd only put our, our new cool ship at Windsor is 13 foot square. It's 15 inches tall, and we'll put 10 inches of liquid in it. Uh, that's about 25 barrels of wort. The top of the tank is at the bottom of the window sills up on the top level of the brewery. So during the winter, we'll open the windows up. So as the cool air comes in, it'll cool the wart down. Whereas at the pub where this was made, we actually cool the wart down. And so although we're doing a traditional recipe with barley on malted wheat, aged hops, uh, beyond that, we totally deviate. And that, that goes back to something that Jean from Cantillon told me years ago. He says, you can make spontaneous beer anywhere in the world. It just will maybe be different. And so I, I took that to heart. And, you know, all the spontaneous beer that's being made in the world outside of Belgium, it's because of Jean Van Roy preaching that you can make spontaneous beer. And... Um, and so we've learned how to control that. We run the wort through a heat exchanger to cool the wort down. And that's probably the biggest point of where we've been able to control how quick the bacteria and wild yeast grows is that we're cooling it much cooler than we once, than we once did. The very, the very first time we made a spontaneous beer, it was a pseudo-spontaneous beer. I, used the mash t- I, I went back to the mash tun with the wort thinking that all the bacteria that lives in your mash tun because of the bacteria that lives on the grain. And I heat exchanged back to it. And I thought back to, like, when you take your food handling card for (laughs) a restaurant, and they tell you, like, the red zone, like, where bacteria grows. And it's, like, between, you know, 80 and 130 degrees or whatever it is. Same color as a bullseye. (laughs) It's like, well, if bacteria grows there on food, then I should definitely heat exchange back. I should, I should cool the wort to that temperature back to the mash tun, let it sit. And then the next day I was going to come in and put it in barrels. And it was a Sunday when I came back in. It was like 5.30 in the morning. And um, I was so excited. I called Natalie and woke her. I'm like, it's fucking fermenting. It's fermenting. <laughs> She's like, why are you calling me? And that was, that was when Travis from Society still worked for us. That was also the same time Natalie figured out the Do Not Disturb button on her iPhone. <laughs> I called Travis, too. I'm like, it's fermenting, it's fermenting. I was so excited. But that wasn't a, a true spontaneous beer because we were using the mash tun as a horny tank. But, um, and that's what we call our, our tank. We call it a horny tank because it's not a, a cool ship. It's, it's deep in that. And I, I referenced our new cool ship because it's only going to have 10 inches of, of liquid in it. The horny tank now at the pub, it's, it's like two or two and a half feet deep. So one of our best bartenders at the pub, Medford, who's one of our most beer-knowledgeable people, I always have him go in and mix it with an ore so that it's turning it and it's bringing the wort up from the bottom to the top to get more exposed to the wild yeast in the, in the room. So, um, and then we, we take multiple batches from 9 to 36 months. But again, we're not adhering to that 3-year, 2-year, 1-year. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're taking the best that we have and making a blend. And we, we've dumped several batches over the years as well so it never it's not always perfect so is there any anxiety going from you know you've you've had all this experience doing it one way and now maybe this is you know the pinnacle and now you're completely changing it we're going to keep making the synambic at the pub yeah okay because it's because it's turning out so good yeah we're turning out really good spontaneous beer but no i'm i'm more excited to see what we can what we can do and, and then it also begs the question that our brew house in Windsor is 75 barrel, but our cool ship is 25 barrel. So we have another beer with, uh, with the remaining wort to, to make, but that may be a quick beer. I, I'm not sure what it's going to be. Awesome. So we just bought our first fooders, too. It's like a saison. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have our first true saison, clean saison, fermenting in one of our open-top fermenters in the new breweries as I'm well. I'm very that happy I'm, to hear that. that. I'm super excited about. Yeah, keep, keep so. those videos coming. Yeah. yeah. Even the one where it's like, uh, oh. you know, here, this is a video, but you're not going to see anything moving. Check out the, the Russian River Instagram. We call that brewer porn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Horny tank. Kakrausen is just uh, unbelievable. Yeah. What's, uh, what's, so we've, we've fermented in our, these are clean open-top fermenters. They're a one-to-one ratio. They come from this small uh, family tank manufacturer in Regensburg, Germany. It's fourth, fourth generation. The daughter, Sandra, who we've been working with through the whole project, just bought the company from her dad. Her dad just retired. And we've now fermented uh, our lager yeast, California ale yeast, 
and two of our, so four strains of yeast we've now fermented in the open tops. And everyone just goes in and just watches it. (laughs) (laughs) This is, like, bad for the television because even today, one of our brewers goes to me, that just never gets old. Yeah. And just staring at fermentation. But what's what's crazy is how these are Saccharomyces strains, so they're not anything funky. And every one of them reacts differently, the way that they ferment. The Saison yeast that we're using just has this one little, like, one-foot area in the middle of the tank that's just erupting. It's like a volcano. And then it's croizen all the way around. And the way the lager yeast looks compared to the California ale yeast, compared to the other Belgian strain, it's a little bit like, you know, hearkening back to homebrewing days when you used to have a glass carboy and you just check on it all the time. And just the the satisfaction of seeing all the CO2 rising and seeing like all 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 those little particles moving around. The horizon's huge today. It's like, oh, it's going down. Oh, maybe, you know, it's getting close to being. And then then you become a professional brewer and you're like, crap, I can't see it. Yeah. (laughs) How am I supposed to do this? So, yeah. So the the open tops are are amazing. And they've been really interesting on IPAs as well. That You wouldn't think that they could affect an IPA, but they they can. Awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to try it. Literally all the results. <laughs> Can I ask a quick aged hops question? Uh, Santi Darius, is there aged hops in the, the beer we tried, the Thousand Summers? No, there are not. However, uh, we have uh, acquired some aged Holcone hops as well as a Lamic blend that YCH has developed. So we are beginning to play, play with that. The, the idea of using, I mean, Saison's really our muse, but the idea of kind of using some techniques inspired by Goose or Lambic in the production of Saison to us makes a lot of sense, and we are beginning to kind of play around with this stuff. It was just more about access. Recently this summer, I was at Degard Brewing, and Trevor looking around his beautiful, talk about brewer's porn, go, go look in his barrel room. It's really, really, really sexy. And uh, His horny room. And there was a, there was a very cheesy smell. And I looked up, and the rafters are just covered with burlap sacks of aged hops that they've done. And that was a pretty easy mathematical equation. Smell, taste. Mm. Okay, we gotta mm. we got to play with that a little bit. And I ask because, I mean, it does have a, a sharp interestingness, that, for lack of a better term. Um, and I think it's coming from the fruit in this beer. But I, if you told me it was aged hops, I would believe it. I'm going to speak on behalf of someone who's, like, developing a barrel program or just starting one that's hearing this that's like, why wouldn't I just put aged hops in all of my stuff that's going to be sour for extra interestingness? That sounds like what you're doing, Vinny? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What, the was there, is it pro, pros and cons? Like, would you advise somebody well, we, to we, just do that across the board? Can I just well, the quick, last quick, I, quick pro, Vinny does it. Yeah. Well, that's what I was How bad say. could it be? That's what I was going to say. The last I heard that Vinny was using Sterling hops, so we stole that from him, and we've been using <laughs> Sterling for most all of our kind of big production Saison stuff. Vinny, I really wish I would have known that you were doing H top. So maybe you could have checked in. You can implement I, that starting uh, now. I just, I just two years ago, I found some Sterling hops from this small family farm in uh, Oregon called Crosby. Yes. And uh, Blake grows the best Sterling. They're so beautiful. So they're just like, just there's they're just something about his Sterlings that have this extra love to them and the flavors are so sharp and bright and um but um, but on the age top thing th- there is a difference between whole cone and pellet yeah. and we're using pellet on all of the um there are more common sponsor or uh, sour barrel aged beers but we'll and we've been using pellets on the synambic to blend to make beatification but we will Switched all whole cone on the new on the new brewery. So we've been buying aged hops for or hops for a couple of years and aging them. Mm-hmm. Luckily, if you find the right hop broker, they'll have pallets of you know hops sitting around. They they, they brighten up when yeah. you start talking about buying aged hops. Yeah. Like, oh <laughs> yes, we got some of that. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to have Synambic move to a a whole cone uh, component of the hops. So and, and I think that's a place where we can improve the beer even better because I think there is a flavor contribution that you get from aged hops and that, that cheesiness doesn't sure. have to. Yeah, it's an aromatic thing. And, man, the brewery smells different when you are <laughs> boiling a, a, a beer, a base beer that's going to be 
uh, or that has aged hops in them. It is not the normal smell. You should have seen the German commissioning team that oh, were God. that were no, in, they had a heart attack. Yeah, at the time it was like the it was like the United Nations. We had guys from <laughs> Colombia, uh, Mexico, Germany, Austria. We had like six countries represented, and here we are. We have these cheesy ass hops that <laughs> smelled like like old stinky blue cheese. And the whole brewery just smells of this. And these guys are like, what the hell what are you this? doing? <laughs> <laughs> what, is this? No. What, was, what was cool, though, with the, with the Germans, and mind you, these open-top fermenters were made in Germany. There are breweries in Germany and, and Austria that, have, uh, that do open-tops. And they were so intrigued by open-top fermentation. And, like, why would you want to do this? And, and now they're, they're sold. So, but they're also drinking IPA too. So. <laughs> this is great, <laughs> Vinny. You have a certain way of, of doing that to people when it comes to beer, right? I think so, a, that yeah. is a fact. Yeah. What I just heard was that Russian rivers sour beers can get even better, which is actually unbelievable, inconceivable. Yeah. All right. I think we need to get to a break, but we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? <laughs> Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online, plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org Everybody, let's hear it for Sante Adarius and Russian River. We have reached the Q and A and I portion of our show. We are going to share our mic with anyone who wants to come up and ask a question. And as always, for those who know the Sour Hour, questions are brought to you by Dr. Lambic and his team at SourBeerBlog.com. Check out the articles in Sour Beer Blog for a great written resource devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend your sour beer at home. And now the Sour Beer Blog crew is opening up a new brewery. In fact, it's already open. It's open. Mellow Mink. Mellow Mink's uh, tap, brewery and taproom in Central PA, Pennsylvania. Check them out. Mellow Mink Brewing at MellowMink.com. And we already have an eager sour fan with a question. Introduce yourself and hey. what's your question? Hey, Stephen Severn from Orange County, California. Part of the OC mashups, which was actually on your show, I think, a while back. Right on. Um, my question is how you guys uh, treat water chemistry, especially for sour beers. Uh, I know that there's a certain mouthfeel and minerality to a lot of your mixed fermentations that come across completely differently. So if you can kind of expand on how maybe pre-treatment and maybe mineral uh, adjustments through the process. Let's start with Tim. We do absolutely nothing. Uh, we we run it through it. We run it through it. Uh, we have really terrible water. I feel like I'm back on num episode number five. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but our water is the secret to our beer. But I wouldn't want you to drink a glass of it. It's not beer. So what we do is we run it through a charcoal filter and then we pre-boil all of our brewing water before it becomes uh, Sante beer. I uh, guess. Um, so. We don't do anything. I thought Adair and Tim were going to have like this 
great answer. Nope. It's a terrible answer. That's my answer, too. Well, the water sucks, <laughs> but we use it. Except our water doesn't suck. I actually drink it. But No, we don't, we don't treat our water. We, we remove the chlorine. We'll, we'll add a little bit of gypsum to harden it up, to give it a little bit of a hard edge. You know, when you, if, it's, if it's too hard, then you're going to end up with this clash of water chemistry, acidity, maybe hops, although you wouldn't get the alpha acids from the aged hops. So we've, we've always looked at it from that, from that standpoint. With that said, uh, we are making a beer called Intinction, that we've never poured at the brewery. It's a beer festival, beer dinner only beer say, right had, now. I've, I've had it. If we had a beer club, it would be very exclusive, like no need to I was him. saying. <laughs> so, but it's a Pilsner, uh, barrel-aged uh, with two strains of Brett that are super mild. And so there, of course, it's Pilsner water. So it's very, very treated water, reverse osmosis, not a lot in it. And so in that case, the Brett really does shine through uh, more so. But there's also Sauvignon Blanc uh, grape juice in, in the beer in Sauvignon Blanc barrels. So, so in, that, in that beer, it's just a softer uh, beer. But I'm excited to uh, have a bigger barrel room to be playing around with, with stuff like this. My, my thought about in going into this when we started our brewery was, uh, you know, we, we wanted to stay as close to this concept of rustic as we could, um, which if you could see me on your radios, I'd be smiling kind of Wrong big. Video. It's such a stupid name. But, <laughs> it's got an but the idea is working with what you have. That was, that was the concept. And so we've just always worked with what, with what we've had. And, and for, the, for those of you at home, um, I think I'd be more interested I, I would encourage you to just make beer and figure that out and then make the adjustments later on when you've when you've kind of tackled some of the waiting periods some of the blending aspects you know all that then start really dialing in with water chemistry but ultimately these things are beers built around yeast let's say you opened up a brewery out of state would you attempt to emulate your water or would you just work with what you had in the new location we would do exactly the same way that we would do it, which is why we have no intention of building a brewery in any other state. It <laughs> yeah. would just be we'd just be doing the same thing a second time. There have been moments in the history of the brewery that maybe that was going to happen. At the end of the day, uh, we always came back to this is what we want to do. This is how we're doing it. Why would we make a second one? What would I do? It, it doesn't make any sense. So I, I would I I would take the same advice that I just gave. I mean, and just to add to that, I mean, I think we really think of water as sort of a terroir. I mean, we don't get to grow grapes in soil and have sort of the earth um, giving us flavors the way that winemakers do. But our water can really do that. I mean, our water in Capitola is so hard that it ruins glassware when we run it through dishwashers over a period of time. I mean, it just it, the mineral content is so high. But that is one of the reasons why our beer is very dry and the mineral um, the minerality of it is so defined um, is because of our water so it's I think it's a great way to differentiate yourself from other breweries is through your water yeah and of the four I like what Adair said of the four main ingredients that you know are in every beer water is something that just comes right to your brewery and it is terroir and uh, in sour beer so can yeast can be too you know we talked with Vinny about the spontaneous beer, but hops, you know, you can have a state hops, malt, you can have a state grain, but, you know, that's a big pain in the ass. <laughs> and hops take a lot of water, and are you ever, ever going to have enough to actually make a full batch, depending on the size of your brewery? These are ways that they can just reflect what your brewery is. And so, sure, there's the, it doesn't even have to be necessarily like, oh, I'm taking the rustic approach. I think it's just a sensible approach. Start with what you have and then adjust from there. Unless you're the tinker scientist where you have to start with RO water and I'm going to build in all the correct you know, parts per billion of this and that. If that's more your style, then go for it. But I, we've asked this question on the show quite a bit. What about water and sour beer? It's a great place to innovate and try new things because there's no consensus theory at this point. <clears throat> Just let us know your name and where you're from. My name is Jaron, and I'm from San Francisco. Uh, you mentioned at the top of the show bottle conditioning and how um, getting that right is sort of a you know, big deal. 
how often are you not able to sell bottles that you've bottled and what's your worst story of having to throw something out I was afraid you're going to ask that. <laughs> Let's start with Jay. I want to hear all three, but Jay, why don't you start this one? Yeah, we've had two failures. <laughs> today. Just today, yeah. <laughs> um, one beer, I'll, I'll tell this story intentionally. We had a beer that had an enormous amount of diacetyl in the barrel. Where's Aaron? There you are. You'll know, you'll know immediately what I'm talking about. <laughs> No, it's not your fault. <laughs> it's totally Aaron's fault. Um, we ha- and it was like in the thousands, a thousand ppb, and we'd add active Brett to it, leave it for a long time. It went through a summer. All the things you might think that would clean up this diastole bloom, nothing worked. And it got to the point where the more time it spent in oak barrel and slowly was exposed to micro-oxygenation, continue to get more and more sour, and it's to the point where it's like, okay, even if the diastole's coming down a little bit, the acidity's going up, so I'm just going to take a gamble and say, let's, let's package this to hope that the re-fermentation in the bottle will clean up the diastole, never, ever thinking that it would work, essentially. It's just like a, it's a Hail Mary pass. So we, we packaged it. We never put it in our, like, I mean, and Alex is back there. We knew, you know, we removed it from existence. It wasn't in our financial, you know, projections or whatever. It was just a ghost beer. If it came out eventually, great. But So you just had a pallet sitting somewhere? In- <laughs> Scott, no, not a pallet. Not a pallet. <laughs> Six pallets? It was 10,000 bottles. Oh. Yikes. Yeah. I can't wait to get on this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we waited. We waited and waited. We waited a year. And it, it, it just didn't clean up. And so we had to research. Basically, step one, Google. How do you recycle 10,000 bottles with beer inside of it? And, uh, yeah, and we, we had to do that again on a different beer where most of it was not salvageable. So a couple of times... And it did happen both times when we, 10,000 bottles is like a lot more than we usually package. So these were problems with, I don't think they're maybe necessarily problems with scaling up, but they just happened to land on the, and I, and I see Tim, <laughs> they happened to land on the, uh, the scale of batches. So uh, it was extremely unfortunate, but I think, and maybe I'm, so here's me up on the soapbox now. The sign of a good brewer is you have a story here. If you don't have a story that answers this question, I'm sorry, you're not a good sour beer brewer. We're actually looking for volunteers to help us dump about 14 pallets of beer if anybody is willing to come and help. Yeah, when a dare Google did, it was ask people. Ask, ask a crowd. It actually came up, ask Jay. Yeah, ask Goodwin. By your concept, we are some of the best brewers in the world. Yeah. <laughs> They're incredibly good. We have a we have a uh, collaboration that we did with Triple Rock just up the street here uh, called Cellarman that was extremely well received and great beer and thank you very much uh, and it, and it was a great beer. Uh, we also had three ninety barrel fooders and that fooder we <laughs> of Cellarman we actually packaged into bottles on a ten barrel system. So I, I assume yeah. everybody knows the history of our of our brewery that we're making ten barrels at a time. So to fill up uh, a ninety barrel fooder is is pretty it's pretty exciting. It's um, like twenty times or something, <laughs> or something. And, and we were hand battling at the time. So I think actually Adair knows the story a little bit better than me. But let me just say this: if dumping beer is the story, we we're 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 with you. We're yeah. with you. Yeah. What was the problem? Acetic acid. Acetic acid, yeah. So we had a whole fooder that um, it turned out, they're, they're so tall, and just from sort of lack of attention, because we had so many barrels to attend to, the, t- the staves on the top got dried out and um, came apart, air got in, oxygen got in, presumably fruit flies and all the other things that love sour beer got in, and we tasted it, and we tasted maybe a hint of it, but it's still, we, I mean, we, we passed it. I mean, Tim and I passed it for packaging. We tasted it, and we, th- we thought, 90 barrels. 90 barrels, we thought, you know, it, it, it still tastes pretty good. Like, it, 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 we didn't really taste the acetic acid. 
and bottled it, and man, it's awful. Um, <laughs> it's it's just, it's just like pure acetic acid. So um, we are now making vinegar out of some of the bottles that we are now using to make oh, wow. mustard to serve with our pretzels wow. at our Gotta second location. <laughs> um, but you can only make so much mustard. So we are now trying to find a way to dispose of the remainder of the bottles that we have. Literally, pa- I mean, these are packaged bottles, and we package them by hand. These are not bottles that ran through a bottling line. So this was a lot of labor, a lot of labels, a lot of bottles. And that was a, a learning experience. That fooder is dead, by the way. We um, we broke it down. It is now the back bar at our second location. So that's what you know. I think Tim has said that's what happens to you when you're a bad fooder is you you, you become reclaimed. You become reclaimed wood yeah. that goes to make a, a lovely back bar. Yeah, but, um, that I'm is our shoot you full of nail holes, yeah. you stupid fooder. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's a lot of beer for us. I mean, we might hit two thousand barrels this year. So ninety barrels of huge. bad packaged beer is a is a huge loss. Two times. We did it twice. Yeah. Did you just miss the acetic when you were tasting, or did it develop insane acetic?ness in the bottles? What the we hell? were just so hopeful. We knew better, but we just went for it. That, that, that was the scrappiness of the brewery, and we went for it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to share it with you, but you can come look at those pallets. They're still all <laughs> over the brewery. Our three locations, they're all over the place. So I've got a good recycling company. Did you guys are, <laughs> we, we, talk about no, that? We, yeah. We, yeah, I emailed you. I was like, I hey, mean, man, have you ever had this problem? Good is relative. Like, they'll, they'll take it. <laughs> Vinny? How much time do we have? (laughs) So you saw me pull my phone out because I had to do the math on the second story I'm going to tell. The first story was um, an early batch of Temptations back when we only had the pub in downtown. I blended in some kegs that were already carbonated and didn't take into account the carbonation that was already in the draft beer, and that in turn made the bottles overcarbonated. So we had this beautiful batch of temptation, and when you would take the wire hood off, the cork shot up, Kapow. and it was a great, like you know, NASCAR moment. If you're <laughs> trying it's celebratory, to spray beer. celebratory, yeah. exactly. It's for locker but rooms. It wasn't good. So that was a ten barrel batch, I think, maybe twenty barrel. So we had a couple hundred cases, and um, so we would chill ten cases at a time cut the wire hood off so at least cold the cork wasn't going to shoot out and then we would pull the cork out and just as it was foaming up we would push the cork back in (laughs) and we were doing this to decarbonate the beer we did this four times for every bottle Mm. of beer oh my god and um this is another travis story he was he was with us i made him retell that story at the ccba yeah and um (laughs) And so we did it four times, and then after the fourth time, we rewire hooded the, the bottle. But wow. that was just because we didn't want to sell overcarbonated beer. At the time, I had so many brewers, like, they'd be like, ah, oh, screw it. I would have just sold it. And I'm like, <laughs> no, there's no way. So that was it. We had a compunction store. I won't bore you with that. But the 16,800 bottles, I think I beat you all. Yep. Oh, <laughs> gosh, you did. Oh. Four, you was, are the best brewery in the world. It was 1,400 cases of consecration that uh, at the two-week check didn't have any CO2 at all. It was still, completely still. Then at a month, I, and I said, okay, well, let's turn the warm room up four more degrees. Maybe it'll kick in. At a month, still nothing. So at six weeks, a few bottles had some carbonation, but most were still we're still still to use a to use still twice <laughs> so we went out and bought a $25,000 piece of equipment called the laser and the laser you can put the the bottle in the to the machine into this really cool lab equipment and it shoots a laser through and it can actually read co2 levels so we ran all 16,800 bottles through the laser one at a time we figured, we got to the point where we could do 12 a minute it, it became a game like <laughs> who can do it the fastest the fastest operator of the laser gets a three liter of the beer if it ever carbonates wow <laughs> oh. so finally like so we separated the at this point it's like three months old because it took like a month to get the laser from the the lab company and but this point like 80 percent of the bottles are good and then 20 percent is bad so they they went into quarantine and then eventually they did all but we ran every bottle through because we weren't going to release a, a, a beer but the laser is 
um, probably the best purchase we've ever had because we've and we've lent it out to a couple breweries that have had issues and um, um, and it's it's a really cool piece of technology that saved us from putting a bad batch of a beer out that we would have had a recall on. I agree. Great purchase. <laughs> Are you one of the borrowers? Can't, can't confirm it. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I, I, don't, I don't know if I should say anything. We were both thinking the same That was thing. the untold story. That That's why I didn't say anything. Nope. Dare is yeah. like, we need a laser. <laughs> you guys can borrow it if you want. I actually saw the laser at Alley. We might need to first, we, we so. might need to cut that from the podcast, though. So, I, so I, I have a question. Do we have do we have some more questions out there? I want to ask anybody one else. Quick guys? One, but one. Th- this is just selfish, but from the bar, I would like to order the 2018 silver medal pilsner that we have on tap, please. Cellar that's maker, S- that's right? SDS. Oh, SDS. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, but no, my question is for Vinny. Uh, you know, you've been. Uh, you know, I want to draw on your experience. You've been doing these these core sour beers for so long, and you know, some of them have like I've uh, learned about how you use you know wine barrels, and they're only certain ages and stuff like that. But what what I don't know as much about is like the fruit and how you try to kind of keep that character consistent in your sour beers. You know, we talked about purees and whole fruits, and every every new sour brewer has you know different theories and how they try to maximize fruit or strive for consistency. How, how do you approach using fruit in sour beer? So for our, was that for me or Jay? You can have, <laughs> I, 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 I want one, but you can have that. <laughs> do you guys want beer? We can order. We're, we're, we're mic'd up, so. I'd, I'd like an, I, I would really appreciate an STS right now. Another STS? STS? We'll do a round. Make, make, it, through, make it a round. A round make it a round of STS. It's like the Blues Brothers, Orange Whip, Orange Whip. Yeah. <laughs> it's five. Timely reference from. Um, <laughs> you know, we use we use dried fruit in supplication and consecration. Um, we did that on purpose from the very beginning for consistency. Uh, like Tim was talking about the purees, some brewers would say, "Oh, you're you're not using fresh fruit. It's not classic or authentic." But that's that's like saying, you know using hop extract isn't doesn't make your ipa authentic you know there's what (laughs) what what it does is it makes consistency um in the way of hop extract for ipa it gives you yield it reduces green matter Um, it actually can do a lot for your for your flavor profile so for a barrel aged beer for a funky beer uh, one thing is consistency, but about five years ago, there was a horrible, horrible cherry crop in Michigan where most sour cherries come from in America. And we were trying everything that we could get, and we were buying canned sour cherries and frozen and this and that, and nothing tasted like like the dried sour cherries that we, that we get now. And oh, so sorry, to, to some degree... Cheers. Cheers, cheers. cheers guys. To some degree, the, the dried cherries has become our signature, just like the puree probably has become a signature for Sante Darius. And so I would, I would say that there's a depth of uh, fruitiness that you get from uh, the cherries. In supplication, it's more evident than in consecration. If you put consecration in front of someone they didn't say it had currants, you maybe wouldn't know it had currants until you're able to taste a barrel of it that we didn't add currants to, and then you taste A and B, and it's like, well, that's not, sup- or that's not consecration. No. So, I'd um, love to do that. So we, so we like, we like the, the depth, the flavor, the intensity we get, but we've also never looked at those two beers as being like a creek or, you know, we're, we're mm-hmm. only adding only, still a lot of fruit, but half a pound per gallon. Whereas a creek or a framboise would be like two pounds. Yeah. Uh, but we but we use fresh fruit in other mm-hmm. in other beers. The framboise we do, the Sauvignon Blanc, compunction, um, compunction, pluots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pl- uh, the pluot. Everyone know what a pluot is? Cross between a plum and an apricot. 
Pluots were actually bred originally as called a plum cot in Santa Rosa by Luther Burbank, by the famous oh, wow. uh, botanist, and that's why, we, that's why we did it. He also bred the, the kumquat and, uh, so, <laughs> and the russet potato, but don't, don't really? expect a russet potato <laughs> barrel bear any day, oh. anytime soon. Wow. That's, like, a, that's oh. like Jean's answer from, uh, from the last hour where we asked for biggest mistake, and he said it was, or he started with, uh, someone asked me when I was drunk to make a Brussels sprout beer, and I yeah. did. <laughs> he agreed, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And then his, his biggest mistake ended up being, like, he had a, there was a bad name. <laughs> at, at, the, at our new facility, though, there's, a, there's wineries behind us. Our Pinot Noir barrels come from the winery right behind us, which is great. The winemaker, Julie, after we announced that we had bought the property, she says, so do we still pick the barrels up in a truck? He picked them up in a truck. Do you forklift them or do you just roll them? Because uh, they're literally like from here to the other end of the building. It's it's that close. And then wow. there's also a, a new custom crush facility. Um, so I, I took some Synambic and put it in Merlot barrels. And I bought a ton of Merlot grapes from a local um, vineyard and literally had the grapes delivered to Grand Cru. And then I just drove the forklift with with the, oh, with the micro bins had them had them filled and then we filled the barrels like an hour later where'd so, Tommy Tommy go so. Tommy did you hear this oh my god yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh unbelievable that's, that's awesome that's exactly what I think I I'm still a fan and I would like to know what with this new facility what type of new sour beer production we might be able to see from Russian River so that's a that's a great hint that's one of many. Propi- think- propitiations, the sour porter we've done, and uh, we've got a, a few more that we're we're dreaming up. Well, I've got plenty more questions, but there, are there any more audience questions? We're kind of running out of time here on this segment. Anybody else have one? Last chance. Yeah, come on up. Hi, uh, I'm Scott. Uh, I'm from the East Bay. Question is for Tim and Adair. Ambig- ambiguous location. <laughs> yeah, I'm also Scott from the East Bay. I'm nice. really good at voices. <laughs> Vinny already answered my question regarding experimentation and uh, spontaneous beer. So this is regarding uh, Cask 200. It doesn't seem like it's sustainable. What are the uh, future plans if Cask 200 stops producing great beer? Why the assumption of not sustainable? Is it? Is it? Well, maybe that's the first question. Is it unsustainable? We we thought not. We're it's coming up on six years of it. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, with the people not Adair would like to Adair explain is gesturing Cast 200. Yeah, yeah. feverishly. For people who do not Context. know, um, Cast Two Hundred is a Solera style saison that we do. So it's a a large cask that we've had. Um, it actually came to us named. Um, it's from a lot of casks that a, a large winery sold off, and we all had plaques on them. They're German barrels. Um, and ours was named Cast 200, so the beer that comes out of it is named Cast 200. But we've always done a Solera method saison on it, and we've been doing it, like Tim said, for about six years. So the beer is ne- the barrel has never been fully emptied. We've always put fresh beer in it and blended it with old beer and then pulled off batches of it. So you're supposed to get batch variation on it. However... Well, uh, to add to Adair is absolutely right, but to add to that, also the same, because it's an exercise in variation, that we never make the same beer for it. We just make kind of random saisons that we put in it, which is kind of cool. A couple things about Cast 200. I was expecting acidity for all you at home. I'm kind of showing a graph, and I'm putting my hand up in the air vertically. It's kind of a salute. But, but I was expecting a lot of... It's very offensive to Moscow. Yeah, moving well, along. Let me switch arms and let me do something different. There is but video, yes. by the way. So. Yeah, there is video. Brewingnetwork.com slash TV. I was expecting acidity to go through the roof, and what ended up, what has happened, is that actually we're seeing a really kind of cool kind of decrease of acidity, more funk. It's a really fun project. That being said, Cast 200 is going to move. We're putting in a new brew house, and Cast 200 has to move, and we're trying to figure out how do we move it to the rare barrel. barrel to the <laughs> rare barrel, yes. How do, we, how do we move it and still keep beer in it because it's oval-shaped? Vinny? How big is it? 660 gallons. Butch Cameron Trucking, Santa Rosa. <laughs> there you go. They're about to move all of our barrels from our old production brewery to the uh, new brewery. 
with liquid in them. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Okay. They do it all the time. I see their trucks running all over during harvest and, you know, all times during the year. <laughs> so when it came time to, like, how do I move 500 barrels from Ferdinand Court to Windsor? It was like Butch Cameron trucking. Yeah. As uh, our friend Lauren Limbach from New Belgium says, it's like moving cross country with a house plant in the car. Yeah. yeah. It's a little nerve-wracking. Yeah. Nerve totally. <laughs> yeah, this section of the Sour Hour is... Sponsored by Butch Cameron Trucking. Butch Cameron Trucking. Yes, yeah. Butch Cameron Trucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Justin's doing the business on the back. And we'll I, we'll, and we'll I cut wanna, it out if we don't get the money. I just want to add that to answer the question is the best way to keep a barrel from going south is keeping it wet. We will empty barrels and refill them all in the same day. If we have barrels that we've emptied that have had sour beer in there, it's rare that we'll use it if it's more than a week old after that. We just will get rid of it because the, the risk of getting acetic acid from the oxygen being in contact with the alcohol that's in the wood um, will create acetic acid. And so, But we're also in the middle of wine country, as everyone is out here. But I always use Nebraska Brewing Company because they make really good sour beer. And and yet they're in Nebraska. They don't have access to barrels like we do. They they truly have to rely on brokers, whereas, like, we just literally go out our back door, and there's, like, one of the best Pinot Noir producers in, I think, in Sonoma County there, and we can get barrels. And, and so, like, but for them, they have to probably work a lot harder. If a barrel starts going bad... They need to, like, really think hard about what am I going to do. Because a lot of times, I think it was Jay was saying at the beginning, like, a barrel broker will sell you a barrel, and they're, like, using all these g- glossy, poetic terms to describe it. And then it's like, oh, yeah, this barrel sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this is not, isn't It's nice. a lemon. We returned an entire truck last year. Uh, wow. Nothing was, all bungs were open. Fruit, you open the door, it was VA, Atcha, and fruit flies flying everywhere. Oh, man. And we just were like... In the early days of the brewery, I swear to God, we were so shy and we didn't know what we were doing. We would have been like, okay. Oh, yeah. But this time it was like, turn that thing around. We can't yeah, use this. Yeah, that happened to me too, for sure. Really? Where I was just like, oh, this is how it's supposed I'm to be. Supposed to happen. <laughs> so, so you like don't use that broker again? Or was it a broker? No, the broker was awesome. They, she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to go hand select these barrels from a different winery. I'll take care of it. And we got awesome barrels as a result of it. Yeah. So Whoa. speak up. Yeah, speak speak up. yeah, right. Speak That's up. a great when word you know for the wise. wrong, speak up. Yeah. All right. We're just about out of time. I'm, I'm going to take it upon myself to ask just one last quick question for Vinny. When is procrastination coming out? For God's sakes, Vinny. We've been waiting. I've been waiting so long. Please. Please. You know. uh, let's thank our guests, Sante, Darius, <laughs> and Russian you. River. Thanks, guys. Wonderful guests. Their wonderful beers Thanks, are Tim. still available on tap if you get thirsty. We'll take our quick show break, yep. and then we'll be back with our other guests on the next Sour we'll be- Hour.